Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. As in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. <laughs> it's going to be fun. The children of God and the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So he's tying in practicing righteousness with loving his brother. And here's the reason. In verse 11, it says, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Verse 12, Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. Now that word brethren (laughs) sounds weird. We don't usually use that word in common English. Uh, It just means the brothers. Specifically, the family of God. The reason why he's referring to the family of God, male and females, as brothers is because uh, in God's family, we are all sons of God. That's the male gender. So it's not that there are no women in this church. It's not an all-guy church. Uh, This is He's talking spiritual brothers, okay? And they're not even all related. This is spiritually speaking. uh, We are a part of the family of God. We are joint heirs with Jesus. So when we come into the family of God, we come in as sons of God. Uh, Because we have inheritance. Women, daughters wouldn't have gotten an inheritance. So spiritually speaking, these are sons. You and I, if if you believe in Jesus, if you put your faith in Jesus and repented of your sins, you and I are a son of God. And so this is what he's talking about. That if we, the, the, uh, one verse 13, just, we we, we just stop right there. Do not marvel, my brothers, if the world hates you. Uh, We can just stop right there. Uh, In fact, you should marvel if the world doesn't hate you. If everybody likes all of your Facebook posts, (laughs) you might want to rethink your life. Uh, Do not marvel, brethren, if the world hates you. And then in verse 14, he says, because we know that we have passed from death into life. So this is the key. This is how we know that we are children of God because we love the brothers or the the people of God. So it's not to say that we hate people who are unbelievers. That's not what he's saying. But he is saying that the test of faith is not if you love unbelievers. (laughs) Uh, Becoming a pastor in South Austin, I meet a lot of people who are like, I, I love Jesus, I just don't like Christians. I just don't like the church. I don't like organized religion. So I invited them to City Chapel because we are unorganized religion. But apparently, unorganized religion is just as offensive as organized religion. It's the word, it's religion. Organized or unorganized. It's, and, and really what it comes down to is, comes down to Christians. And so, and so this, is, this, is, this is the test. Not if you love people on 6th Street on Saturday night. <laughs> the test of your faith is if you love people who are saved. And sometimes it's harder to love people who are saved than people at 6th Street on, on Saturday night. You know what I'm saying? Uh, be, 
Because people on Sixth Street on Saturday night, they're not going to remember anything the next day. So they act a little differently. But, but the truth is, it's sometimes it's more difficult to walk in community with people that you call brothers than it is to be nice to strangers. And so this is what he's saying. This is a test. This is how you know. This is how we know that we've passed from death to life because we love the brothers or the people of God. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Let's go back to the beginning of this passage. Uh, Verse 10 says, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest or revealed. This is, and once again, John is writing this letter to, to counteract deception. So you find a lot of passages like this where he is letting people know not really what they should do, but rather what they should see if they are children of God. It's almost, you know, it's the thermometer passage where he says, look, if you are a child of God, this is what you'll see in your life. You'll see a love for the people of God. And if you don't have a love for a people of God, then you are not a child of God. And so he's trying to make it clear. And it's not to condemn anybody. It's not to to push anybody away. It's simply to draw the lines very clearly and to have some clarity around what it means to be a child of God. And in fact, in verse 10, he says, look, this is how you decide between. This is how it becomes manifest or it becomes obvious who the children of God are and the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is, nor is he who doesn't love his brother. For this is the message you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And then he says, not as Cain. Not as Cain. You guys have heard of Cain and Abel, right? I think about everybody has heard of Cain and Abel. It's actually sort of a pop culture term, even the classic sibling rivalry. Cain and Abel, the first uh, sons of Adam and Eve, the first children born into a world like this. Adam and Eve were created, actually not as children. Adam and Eve never had a childhood. (laughs) So Adam and Eve never grew up. God created them as adults. He breathed life into them, and then they got married like straight away. So teenagers, there was some time. For you, there's some time, okay? That's just, I'm just saying. Uh, But for them, they were created as adults. But, but, But Cain and Abel, the two brothers that were born, the first children that were born into this world, and what I mean by this world is I mean a world after the fall, a world after sin, a world after Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. That's right, Adam and Eve... Uh, we're living in perfect harmony with God, and then they sinned, and God kicked them out of the garden. My God wouldn't do that. He doesn't kick people out. Well, you know, well, you, you're, you're welcome to read about the real God. You can keep your imaginary deity in your head if you like, but the real God happens to kick people out from time to time. Not because he's angry with them, not because he hates them, but because now they are feeding off of knowledge. They are living off of knowledge, and knowledge is incompatible with God. So if they stick around, they're not going to survive. (laughs) The holiness of God can't be with the sinfulness of man in that way. And so God removes them from his presence from the garden. And Adam and Eve leave the garden in Genesis chapter 3. And then you go to Genesis chapter 4. And it says in verse 1, now Adam knew Eve, his wife. We'll just leave that right there. That's New King James language. Uh, And she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Isn't it interesting? They get kicked out of the garden. Uh, Husband and wife do what husband and wife do. 
and she produces a baby. She goes through labor. First time she's ever experienced anything like this. It, first time anybody has ever She obviously thought she was going to die. <laughs> For those of you that have been through labor, I guess uh, you, you understand. If, no, if nobody, if you never saw a video, come on somebody. You never saw a birthing video. You never had Lamont's class. You never had anybody sit down and tell you how to breathe. Like you might think an alien has taken over your body and it is now going to destroy you as it exits your being. And she is, she is pushing this baby out and she gets it out. And then her response is, I have received a man or a son from the Lord. She credits God with helping her give birth. And any ladies that have given birth, you know your husband didn't do much during that whole process. It was God that brought you through, you know what I'm saying? And, 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 and that's what she said. And it's interesting. It seems as if she's the one who names him, which is odd because throughout the Old Testament and in ancient times, the man, the, the husband was always the one who would give the names. Uh, I guess it wasn't that way. The very first child that's born, she says, I have acquired a man from the Lord. And the name Cain means to acquire something or to gain something. So Cain is given by God to his mom and dad. And then the very next sentence, then she bore again. Now, some believe that these were twins because there's no uh, mention of conceiving here. Like it was the first time. So perhaps uh, Cain and Abel were twins. Perhaps there was some time between them. I'm not sure. We know Cain is the oldest. It says in verse 2, Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. And she doesn't say anything about God helping her. <laughs> so there you have it. She gives birth to Cain, and then she gives birth to Abel. And then scripture goes straight to their adulthood. Skips over their childhood. We don't know much about them except that now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord because he was a tiller of the ground. He's a gardener and he brings from his, from his harvest an offering of fruit um, to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock um, of their fat, and the Lord respected, this is important, the Lord respected Abel or accepted Abel. Uh, Hebrews 11 said that Abel was commended by the Lord. That it, it, some way, we don't know how, but somehow Abel received a revelation that his offering had been accepted by God. I know sometimes in the Old Testament, fire would come down from heaven and consume the, the sacrifice. I don't know if that happened. It's a possibility. But somehow both Cain and Abel were both aware that Abel's offering had been accepted by God. And that as God accepted his offering, Abel was also accepted by God. Not just his offering, but Abel. And anywhere you read, Abel's not mentioned in scripture very often, but anywhere you read about him, he's always listed as righteous. This is a guy who had no law, right? There was no law given. There was no, there was no prophets available. There were no pastors or teachers or small groups. <laughs> it was just him and his brother. And scripture always references Abel as righteous, usually because of this passage here, because he offered a sacrifice that was pleasing to the Lord that the Lord respected. Now, how in the world did he know to do that? Like, that's the age-old question, and I don't know. The Bible doesn't say, but it, it, it must have, in my mind, there must have been some communication between God and Adam and Eve, between God and Cain and Abel. 
that he knew that the right offering was to offer a lamb. And we do know that later on in Scripture, lambs are very important with regard to offering. Actually, it's prophetic of the Lamb of God who would come and would take away our sins. And so we do understand that what Abel is doing, he's doing, it's a symbol of things to come. Thousands of years later. And how he knew to do that, I don't know. But it seems as though God spoke to them at some point and told them, this is how I want to be worshipped. But, verse 5, he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, look, God's speaking to people. Before a prophet, before the Bible, before church, God's speaking to Cain. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? (laughs) If you do not do well, he says, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? The answer is yes. But God said to him, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, remember he was a tiller of the ground. He was a gardener. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength or its fruit to you. A fugitive, he said, and a vagabond, which means a traveler without a home. A fugitive, a homeless person, you shall be upon the earth. Let's go back to, this is a positive, encouraging story. I know this is so, you guys are just like, oh, this is wonderful. This is exactly what I need to hear. Um, Yeah, Lord, I I feel his strength is rising right now. Uh, waiting and waiting and he's going that's what happens when you wait you get weird stories about guys who kill people uh, <laughs> but no this is a part of first john chapter three he's when when the holy spirit is speaking to the church saying i want you to love one another in fact this is a sign that you belong to christ if you love one another he he reaches for a story to explain what he's talking about and the story he reaches for is negative It's kind of depressing. It's about this guy named Cain. And that's what John says. John says, don't be like Cain. Right? So that's that's the the, the theme of this, this, this paragraph here. He says, don't be like Cain who murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his brother's deeds were good and his deeds were evil. Okay, so, 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 so this is the title of my message. If you would turn to somebody close to you and, and just help, help, help announce the title. If you're watching online, you might need to turn to your, your husband or your wife or somebody in the room and just, and just, just, just announce this to them. Are you ready? Uh, you might have to turn around, actually. Is somebody around? So this is what I want you to announce to them. Say, don't hate me because I'm beautiful. That's, that's, that's the title. It's the title of today's message. Don't... Wow, yeah, you don't have to do all that. You don't have to have an attitude with it, but it's, it's what he says. He says, don't, that's what he says. He says, don't be like Cain who hated his brother. And so today, oh, yeah, oh, boy. Uh, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. A good friends, uh, or no, that's not friends. That's the prince, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I didn't see the full thing. I just, anyway, the late, late 2000s, late 90s sitcom. Don't hate me because I'm beautiful. 
Don't don't hate me. Now, 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 now I, I thought about this as I was preparing this message. As soon as I start talking about not hating, it's, it's weird because that word hate has been so twisted and stretched and pulled and, and distorted. Uh, in, in, in the original text, it means to detest. Because that's what hate used to mean. Uh, it used to mean to detest something or especially with regard to persecution. Now I, now, I know when, when somebody disagrees with you, you're being persecuted. But that's not what I'm talking about. It's about actual persecution, like when, what Cain did to Abel, uh, which is happening around the globe actually right now. Christians are actually being persecuted. Uh, they're literally, I mean, like actual persecution. And I don't, I, don't, I don't mean to make light of when somebody hurts your feelings, but let's get real. It's just your feelings. That's not persecution. So maybe I do mean to make light of it. Grow up. Uh, it's not like we, we, we throw around this idea of hate and persecution. And really sometimes what we mean by hate is somebody disagrees with me or they don't, they don't, they don't think I am, I am doing the right thing. And yet, but hate is to detest. And so I'm trying to think about how to, how to announce that, which is probably why this story about Cain and Abel is so helpful. Because it, it jumps outside of all of our modern uh, boxes and classifications for hate. And reasons actually for hate. Right? Because when the Holy Spirit went to explain what he means by hating our brother, he hit the rewind button so far, he went all the way back to the very first humans that were born after the fall. The very first humans. In other words, like he, 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 he went before all the stuff that we think produces hate. Right? Like classism. Right? He went before classism. We think, well, the haves and the have-nots. The reason why there's hatred is because people have, some people have, and some people have not. People who have not become angry and jealous of people who have. Not in Cain and Abel's case. Who had and who didn't have? They, 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 they didn't have money. They, didn't, they literally didn't have money. There was no money. <laughs> like, they didn't, one didn't have a nicer house than the other. There were literally no houses. Like, the Holy Spirit hit the rewind button so far, so far ahead of the ways that we think hatred works. Because before there was classism, there was hate. Oh, before there were guns, there was murder. <laughs> what, yeah, talk about gun control? How about not having any guns? That's gun control. Perfect gun control. Two individuals, the only two people other than their parents on the planet and one of them murders the other without weapons. This is perfect gun control and yet there's still murder. This perfect, uh, this, this would be a utopian society. If you want to talk about utopia, this is it. There's nobody to make you mad except your brother. There's no racism in this, in this context. There's no racism here. They both have the same mom and dad. That's why, that's why I love the Bible, because people who are caught up on racism being the source of hatred and, 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 and all, it's not true, because the Bible, me, the Bible story tells us that we all come from one family. That at the end of the day, literally, we are all related on some distant level. 
We have been spread out to various continents, and this has affected our pigmentation and melatonin and all of that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, there are, God didn't create multiple races. You guys are looking at me like, well, really? Really? No, like, have you read Genesis? Like, has anybody read Genesis chapter 1 and 2, maybe? Like, that's it. Like, just read that part. God created one man, one woman. Guess what? They're both the same race. What race are they? Who knows? Who cares? They're one race. And before racism, these two boys are the same color skin, whatever that color was. These two boys have the same type of hair, whatever that type was. These two boys look just like each other, and yet one murders the other. Why? Because hatred doesn't come from racism. Hatred doesn't come from classism. Hatred doesn't come from politics. They had the same politics because there were no politicians. They both, they were, like, they, they, they weren't divided by the ways in which we divide people and break them up. What was it? One psychologist said, overclassification is the, is the, is the tendency of the human brain. We love to put people in boxes and, and assign them, you know, economic boxes or, or, or skin color boxes or cultural boxes or uh, this side of the track versus that side of the track or this type of dresser versus that type of... We, we love to put them in these boxes and yet here in the Bible, there's none of those boxes available. They're both wearing the same stuff, whatever that is, probably nothing. <laughs> Living in the same type of house, with the same economy, with the same color skin, and yet there's still hatred. Why? Because the Bible traces hatred not to any of those things. You can eradicate all of those things and still have hatred. Still have murder. Get rid of it all. Go all the way back to Adam and Eve, and they have two kids. This is, this is, the, first, this is the first community outside of marriage covenant. You had husband and wife, but they're committed to each other, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Brothers are not like that. They're not married. They're not joined at the hip. They haven't covenanted with each other. So this is the first willful community where two people come together and say, I want to be in relationship with you, not because I have to, but because I want to. And the first community is obliterated by violence. Literally 50% of the world's young people died all at once. 25% of the entire planet died and there was no racism, there was no bigotry, there was no uh, uh, classism, there was no uh, body shaming, there was, <laughs> there was none of that. Because anger and hatred, do, 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 they don't come from any of that. Actually, what, what, what this does, though, it gives us a biblical division, a biblical way to divide people. And God does divide people up, and he puts them into one of two boxes. You have the children of God, and you have the children of the devil. That's it. And he says that Cain did what Cain did because Cain was a child of the devil. And this is not meant to, uh, you know, shame people. Jesus actually called people children of the devil. I don't know if you remember that. It's because he's so loving and sweet and kind and always trying to encourage everybody. And, and he said, you're like your father, the devil. And he wasn't trying to shame them. He wasn't talking religious smack talk. <laughs> this wasn't like a your mama joke, but for the church. Like, he was trying to let them know why they had an inclination to be deceived. 
why they had an inclination to lie, why they felt within themselves a natural propensity to hate the truth, because their DNA was that of the devil. And so the good news of the gospel, actually, is that all of us were at one point sons and daughters of the devil. We were children of darkness. And God, in his great mercy, (laughs) transformed us, transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. We were reborn, or we were born again, this time not after Satan, but this time after God. Well, I mean, I was. I don't know if any of you. Was anybody here transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light? Like, you experienced that? Yeah, it, it, this, this, is, this is a powerful thing. Therefore, when I am his child, see, that's why you don't hate me because I'm beautiful. Because my beauty doesn't come from me. It comes from my father who is making me and remaking me in the image of his son and transforming me and turning me from an ugly son of the devil to a beautiful son of God. He's making me beautiful. This is a process. But I have his DNA inside of me. And, and I have his word inside of me. And I have a mirror of the word of God to hold up to me and to show me what he wants me to be and how he wants me to think and how he wants me to live. And as I submit to him and I walk with him, I become beautiful. I become beautiful. I become what he wants me to be. I become what he made me to be. But none of us are created, are birthed beautiful. We are all born sons of the devil. And this is the way the entire world, actually that's the way this entire room is divided up. Within this room, there are sons of God and there are sons of the devil. Watching online, there are sons of God and there are sons of the devil. You say, well, how do I know if I'm a son of the devil? Well, it's clear. If you hate the brothers, if you hate the people of God, if you do not have a love for people, then you're not a son of God. But that's not the end of the story. There's hope for people like you and me. (laughs) Sons of the devil. There's hope for us. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but shall have everlasting life. There's hope for us. But until you understand the way in which God classifies people, you'll, you'll always be, I think, confused about what God's doing. He sees Cain, and Cain is a son of the devil. And so Cain, Cain is somebody that God is drawing and wooing and, and speaking to and trying to pull into relationship. He actually has a special conversation with Cain. There's no record of a conversation with Abel, but with Cain, he meets with him in order to help draw him to himself. God doesn't give up on sons of the devil. In fact, in, in, uh, pr- prior to chapter 4, in chapter 3 of Genesis, God speaks to, he's speaking to Eve and to the serpent, and he says, I will put enmity or hatred between your seed, between the woman's seed, and between the serpent's seed. And I've heard preachers say, oh, well, that's, that's why all women hate snakes, you know, because there's enmity there. Uh, <laughs> one, that's not true. All women don't hate snakes, right? Some ladies like snakes. Madden likes snakes. Some girls like snakes. And you're not weird. Yeah. Your lady likes snakes. There you go. It's not, it's not, it's not a freaky thing to like snakes. He's not, because he's not talking to the actual serpent. He's talking to the spirit of the serpent. In the same way that he told that same spirit that, that her seed, singular, will crush your head. You're not talking about Jesus wasn't walking around looking for snakes to step on. 
Right? I mean, that's not what he's doing. He's talking spiritually that Jesus would crush the head of the, the, the serpent, the lion serpent, also named Lucifer, also named the devil, also known as Satan, right? That, that God would crush, that Jesus would crush his head. And so when he talked to the snake, he said, he said, I'll put hatred between your seed and her seed, meaning there will be hatred between the offspring of Satan, the children of Satan. That is all those who are not children of God. That's why he says, don't be surprised when the world hates you. Because there has literally been enmity put between the children of Satan and the children of God. And so if you're watching today and if you are a son of Satan, I have good news for you that there is life on the other end of death. There is a resurrection that's possible for you. There's a rebirth. You can be born again into the family of God. But I, but I must warn you that hatred is driving you away from God. Hatred is pulling you away from God. What happened was you had, you had and, 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 and by away from God, I don't mean away from the church. Because literally, we accept sons of Satan at City Chapel. <laughs> we'll love you. We'll hug on you. We're happy you're here. If you're watching, we're glad you stopped by and you're still watching. Wow, good job. <laughs> because the, even, even back in Genesis chapter 4, both the Son of God and the Son of Satan went to the same church. They both worshipped. They both went to God and offered sacrifices. Which means... And this is, this, 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 is, this is important. You're going to want to write this down. The first murder in all of human history occurred at an after-church potluck. <laughs> you think that, like, they go to church after church, Cain murders his brother. Why? Because you can be in the church but not in Christ. It's very easy to be offering worship to God and yet have the seed of Satan inside of you. And that sounds super dramatic, the seed of Satan. I just mean you're not a follower of Christ. I just mean you haven't submitted your life to him. I just mean you're worshiping with your head and with your hands, but not with your heart. Because that's what's happening, right? You have, you have two worshipers. They're both coming before God. And, and by the way, like this is so interesting for me as, 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 a, as a study. Um, you know, where would they have worshipped? There was no churches. Uh, there were no tabernacles. Uh, most scholars believe that they would have worshipped at the, the door um, of, of Eden. Eden is the garden that uh, Adam and Eve were at. And um, they had been kicked out of the garden. And God positioned cherubim angels with swords of fire at the gate of the garden. I think it was at the east gate of the garden, by the way, so that they couldn't get back in. So most scholars believe that really uh, Adam and Eve didn't move far away from that place and that, that Adam and Eve would come to that gate because that's the last place they saw God. They believed God was there. His presence was there. They would go to the gate and they would worship. This is reflected, by the way, in the law of Moses. When Moses, like a long time later, created this tabernacle, when he built the tabernacle, he, he put the altar of sacrifice or the, the brazen altar, he put it outside of the holy place. 
And in the curtain, actually, dividing the most holy place from the holy place, he, he sewed two cherubim on there, guarding the holy place. Because Eve, or, or Eden, is, is a type and a shadow of the most holy place. And if you look at the, at the construction of the tabernacle, it's, it's all leaves and vines and, and things. It's made to look like a garden. And yet worship happens outside of the garden. Sacrifice happens outside on the east side, actually. I think the door was always on the east. They always positioned the door of the tabernacle facing the east. So it's really fascinating to me that from, from ancient civilization, there were people that would go to the gate of this garden. And I just imagine they build an altar and they offer sacrifice to God. And somehow God confirms that he receives it or he doesn't. And Abel lifts up his sacrifice of the lamb, right? And, and he kills that sacrifice. And he, which, which, by the way, is really the first animal that's ever killed by a human in all of history. When Abel kills that lamb, it's the first time a human kills an animal. Which would have been very difficult because it's not natural. God created... <laughs> and all the vegetarians will like this, God created humans and animals to live in harmony together. Like initially that was the plan. In fact, God created humans to give identity to animals. So God created humans and animals on the same day. And because they were created on the same day, then God turned around to Adam and said, now I want you to tell these animals what they are, to name them all. So Adam was to give identity to animals. Adam was to be the source of identity for animals. Can you see what God's doing here? God created Adam in his image. And just like God is the source of identity for humans, humans were supposed to be the source of identity, the caretakers of animals. And there was supposed to be this relationship between them. But when Adam sinned, he broke that connection, the caretaker connection between him and God. And therefore, he wasn't able to be the caretaker that he was supposed to be for animals. And so the first animal was killed by God in the garden in order to clothe Adam and Eve. But after this, apparently God had told them that I want you to kill an innocent animal. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so somehow, Abel either through revelation or somehow he understood that in or that sin was so serious that in order to deal with sin the blood of an innocent lamb must be shed and if you know the gospel you know that that's also true in order to deal with our sin the blood of an innocent lamb of god must be shed and so abel goes through the the Difficult act. He didn't have a gun. He didn't have a stun gun. He didn't have a knife. I don't know how all this happened. He goes through the difficult process of killing. He's the shepherd and he goes through the difficult process of killing one of the things he's supposed to protect. Why? Because Abel knows that sin is serious. Cain, on the other hand, well, he offers a vegetarian worship. (laughs) Cain Cain brings the first fruits from the ground. He brings, he brings an offering to the Lord and he brings this first fruit and he offers it up because he recognizes God as creator. He recognizes God as, as sovereign. He recognizes God as the source of his wealth. And so he figures he ought to go back and thank God. His worship is one of thanksgiving. His worship is one of, I'm so glad that I get to live here and that I get to do this and that I get to be under your your sun and your sky and be a part of your world. His worship is an acknowledgement about God's existence and about his sovereignty, but not about sin. 
And so the main difference then between, between Cain's worship and Abel's worship is that Cain is there to thank God for how good his life is. And Abel is there to have his sin forgiven. So true worship is not just acknowledging the greatness of God. True worship is saying, I, I need something. I need forgiveness. And this is what separates the sons of God from the sons of, of the devil when they come to church. Sons of God come in desperate. Sons of God come in bloody. Sons of God come in having wrestled with something and killed something to offer something. Sons of God, it costs you something more than just, just opening the giving app, punching in some numbers and hit send. I was meeting with uh, Pastor Randy uh, Phillips this week. He's one of our overseers. He's the pastor of Life Austin. And he, he was asking me, he said, he said what can I, how can I pray for you? What's, what's, what's really on your heart? And I said, well, honestly, in many ways, uh, we're doing great. Uh, personally, I feel like I'm doing really good. Uh, I'm having these intimate times with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit. God's teaching me about speaking in tongues and just waiting with him and sitting with him. And, I'm, and so personally, I feel like I'm being renewed, like I'm in a good place. I feel like I'm better than I was before the pandemic, <laughs> personally. I feel, like, uh, I feel like my marriage is better than it was before the pandemic. I mean, I, I kind of almost want to like put pause on the first John sermon series to, to do a marriage sermon series. Cause I feel like finally after nearly 15 years, like we're starting to figure some stuff out and uh, that's pretty awesome. I mean, we've, it's never been terrible, but I just mean that it's getting better. And when you think it couldn't get better, cause there's some things that I guess it's just going to be that way, but no, you, God has a way of, of, <laughs> of teaching you that no wait. I want to deal with that too. I want to heal that too. I want to improve that too. And so, you know, and our, our kids are, feeling the presence of God. They're, 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 they're getting closer to God. I'm happy. And actually, I'm happy about the church, too. The church is doing well. In terms of people, like numerically, we're doing great. Now, it doesn't look like it on a Sunday morning because we have less people in the room than we did before the pandemic. Technically, we don't have a lot less, actually, but we do have less. But that's because literally, like, two-thirds of our church are watching online. And we're, we're counting those numbers, too, and not just, like, not, not the number of views, because that's dumb, but because uh, people watch it a thousand times just as they're scrolling, you know, on Facebook and everything. But we're actually counting IP addresses. And as we count IP addresses, we're like, okay, more people are tuning in than, than ever before. And so if you add up the people tuning in plus the people coming in person at City Chapel, we've grown over the pandemic. And that's amazing. During a season when many churches were shrinking and closing their doors, I've seen growth. So numerically, I'm happy. Do I always want to see more people come to know God? Absolutely. Uh, are some people selfishly moving to Florida? Absolutely. Um, do, <laughs> through many dangerous toils and snares, I have already come. Uh, but, you know, so there, I mean, it's never like, you know, amazing. It's never exactly what you want, but I'm, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for what God's doing. I mean, not only that, I'm thankful for literally like the presence of God on Sunday morning and his presence in worship and the power that I feel in worship and prayer, Wednesday night prayers. Like there's so many cool things that are happening spiritually, physically, and then like financially, people are giving and not just giving more, but more people are giving. And so during a season 2020, when many churches saw a huge dip in their giving, we saw an increase of 20%. In our giving, 20% more than ever before, for instance. 
Like, we literally have more people joining us on Sunday than we've ever had at City Chapel, and we've had some pretty good seasons. We're beating all those seasons. We've, we've had some pretty great seasons of, of some big givers that have come to our church for a while. We're beating all of those seasons, even though some of the big ones have left. And just more people are giving. And so, I, you know, I, if you're talking to an average pastor and it's like, well, the, the attendance is up, the money is up, I think we're doing pretty good. The Holy Spirit is up. I think we're doing great. And I said, so in many ways, I'm excited. Don't hate me because I'm beautiful. I'm excited. Because <laughs> it's, it's not me doing it. It's God doing it. God's putting it on people's hearts. God's raising up people. God's drawing people. And I, and I get to be a part of it. And that's, that's, a, that's amazing to me. So I love it. So I'm not complaining at all. I said, but the one thing, if you're asking me for prayer, the one thing I'm concerned about, the one thing actually that, that, that I pray about every day that really bothers me is that I'm afraid that, that, that people who once worshipped like Abel will start to worship like Cain. What I mean by that is, I'm afraid that the pandemic will change people's values. I'm afraid that people that once valued coming to church or tuning in, they, they needed it. I'm afraid that they don't feel that they need it so much anymore. I'm afraid, and I'm concerned that people will whip out their cell phone, check us out, make sure we're, we, we, you know, I'm still alive. Still got good hair. Okay, check. We're good. <laughs> uh, shoot, shoot their little tithe over on the giving app, and then turn off their phone and go to the lake. And then turn off their phone and, well, I can sleep in tomorrow. It's the second Saturday. No, it's not. It's Sunday. <laughs> I'm concerned that people who had great convictions before the pandemic will lose those great convictions. I'm concerned that people who used to need God will now just simply enjoy him occasionally. He'll be an afternoon, a midnight snack instead of the main meal of their life. And I'm concerned that their kids will grow up believing that God is an accessory and not a necessity. That he is somebody who, yes, we ought to believe in and we ought to thank him every once in a while. <laughs> and offer up a little something, give him some grapefruit worship. <laughs> I don't like grapefruit. I don't even like grapefruits. But grapefruit worship looks really bad on you. Come in all sour face, your hands in your pocket. When, when's this going to get over? Is he done talking yet? It, it, like that's what that's like this 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 idea that God is He's out there, you know, and 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 some people even tell me that they're like I'm I'm trying to raise my kids to know that God is real. I'm like, what? Are you are you telling them that the sun is real also and the moon is real and the grass is real? What, what the, I don't understand. Why do you need to tell somebody that something's real that is obviously real? No, to understand that God is real is no more than Satan. Satan and all of his children understand that God is real. They don't submit to him, though. They believe that he's, uh, you know, kind of unfair and uh, sort of all about himself. And, you know, uh, and they're angry at him. Cain is ticked at God because God accepted him, didn't accept me. Because Cain is worshiping through his mind. It makes sense. I'm bringing my offering. He brought his. I don't understand why I'm not, why I'm not accepted. And God says, look, if you do what is right, in other words, he obviously must have known what was right, will you not be accepted? Oh, oh but that's, that's the thing. That's the thing, though, right? That's the thing. Abel was the shepherd, the only shepherd. 
in the entire world. Which means if Cain wanted to get a lamb, he'd have to patch things up with his brother. (laughs) That's why people choose Cain worship over Abel worship. Because in order for them to get what God wants from them, they'd have to get it from somebody else. No, 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 I'm, I'm going to be in my garden. I'm going to get my grapefruits. I'm going to get my strawberries. I'm going to get my, my bananas, and I'm going to bring those before the Lord because that's what I have, and it's me and Jesus, just me and Jesus. And God says, no, no, I want you to bring a lamb. Yeah, well, uh, Abel's kind of got the monopoly on lambs. <laughs> He's the only shepherd in the world. I can't get a lamb unless I go through my brother. Exactly. This is... This is, I think, a secret of Christian community that we often overlook. Christian community is not just a bonus for you to feel better and to, and to have fun in church, even though it is that. Christian community is necessary for worship because what I get from you, I can bring to God. This is why Jesus said, unless you forgive your brothers, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. Why did he say that? Because God's spiteful? He's like, eh. I'm not doing it if you don't. I'm not going to do it. No, God's not spiteful. It's because God literally cannot give, God cannot accept worship that is not, that is not the worship that he prescribed. He, he can't, Scripture says, uh, Hebrews says to offer our, our bodies as a living sacrifice. Romans, I think it's chapter 12, offer our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. Well, you can't offer what's not yours. And so if you have unforgiveness towards somebody, what Bob Hamp was talking about, you have, you, people are renting space in your brain. Free. It's free rent. They're in your mind. They have real estate. And until you release them, you cannot offer that to God because it's not yours. It's literally not your emotions. Those emotions are, are, are employed by somebody else. Because as soon as they come around, they can affect those. And they can pull the strings that they want to pull. That means they own it. So you can't give to God what you don't own. And Cain cannot get a lamb except from his brother. Hmm. This, is, this is why, man, don't, don't hate me because I'm beautiful. Because my beauty didn't come from me. I borrowed perspective from my brother. I borrowed thoughts from, from, from people that have sown into my life. I borrowed belief systems from people that have sown into my life. If you want to deal with racism, this is one of the the best ways to deal with it. Stop bringing your own mentality. Talk to somebody who has a different skin color than you. Borrow their perspective. They were born in a different place with different experiences and different uh, perspectives. I'm not saying that they have a corner on the market. No skin color has a corner market on truth. But you sure as anything don't. And so you're going, to have to, you're going to have to recognize that you don't have a corner on it either. You're going to have to recognize that I need their perspective. I need to hear the way that they see and the way that they have experienced some of the exact same experiences. Because even within the same family, people experience different things differently. And so, and so I, I, I need my brother in order for worship. You have something that I need to give to God. I cannot be right with God if I'm not right with you. If I'm not talking to you, if I'm not walking with you, and by the way, you can't be right with God if you're not right with me. Because I have something you need. 
I have a perspective you need. I have a gift that you need. I have an anointing that you need. I have thoughts that you need. I have forgiveness that you need. And you have things that I need. I need your energy. I need your gifts. I need your spirit. I need your presence. I need your friendship. Because it is, it is in, within community that real worship happens. Real worship does not happen with you in your garden, getting out your grapefruit, bringing it to God privately, offering it up to him. The only way Cain could worship is to go through his brother. And God set it up that way. God set it up that way. And, 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 and he told Cain, look, if you, just, if you just go to your brother. And yet Cain couldn't do that. And so God, God punished him, right? His, his punishment is interesting. He says, you'll be a vagabond and a, and a wanderer. And if you go down uh, in, in your Bible, down to verse 16 there in chapter 4, it says that Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod, on the east side of Eden. So he stayed, he stayed near the gate, right, on the east side of Eden. He stayed near the gate, but he went and dwelt in the land of Nod. And then Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. <clears throat> and then it says Cain built a city called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. So Cain builds a city. It's interesting, the guy who is... <laughs> who blew up community when it was the smallest community, the community of two brothers, a family. He goes out and starts a city. The first city in all of the world was started by a guy who couldn't live with his brother. And what is a city anyway? It's a, it's a center for transactional community. You bring something, I bring something. You give me your service, I pay you for that service. Here's my product. You pay me for this product. And so the guy who didn't understand what it meant to be, to have a home or a family, created a city. And a city is where people come to do business. A city is where people come to do work, but they don't sleep in city. Regardless of what you think, people don't sleep in Ikea. They go home. But Cain was a vagabond, meaning he didn't have a home. So the guy who had no home to go to created a place for people to come outside of their home and do business outside their home. Because to him, this is relationship. It's transactional. To him, this is relationship. It's what can I get from you? To him, it's, it's, it's this transactional business type relationship. And yet God wanted him to have a home. Which is why the, the John says that he says it frequently, this term brothers, not partners, not comrades, not fellow soldiers in the army of God, all those things, you know, I mean, I guess there's some application there. But at the end of the day, God gave his son because he wanted a family. And his son gave his life so that we could be a part of a family, not a part of a city, not a part of a Ikea, <laughs> but a part of a family. And Cain, the son of Satan, couldn't understand family. He couldn't understand uh, the, the, the partnership of family, the, the interdependence of family. He wanted to bring his independent worship. And so this is my challenge to you. Don't hate me, because I'm beautiful. Don't hate your brothers in, in, in Christ. Don't, don't believe that you can do this thing on your own. 
Don't believe that as long as you get your, your garden together and bring some fruit, God, God's not going to accept what you just grow at home. God's going to accept what you barter for and work out with your brothers. Which is why I feel a great urgency in this season right now, just as more than 50% of the country has been vaccinated, more people are getting out and doing things and all that kind of, I feel a great urgency that, that, that we wouldn't <clears throat> go back to normal in other areas of our life, so to speak, and then leave the family of God behind. So many are, are still watching from home and that's good. Uh, I know Carol is tuning in. Um, Carol has physical issues, and she literally cannot come in person. But even in the midst of her physical issues, she's still tuning in. She's still helping to organize our Keep Kids Fed ministry, and she's still hosting a small group on her front porch uh, meeting tonight, I think. They're going to be gathering on the front porch talking about the Bible. That's, that's what I'm talking about. Church is not a building. It's a family. So are you a part of the family? My great concern is that people have cut themselves off from the building, and in cutting themselves off from the building, they are allowing themselves to get cut off from the family. It doesn't have to be that way. We have people, uh, Tammy Larson, who I talked with yesterday, she and her family haven't been here since COVID-19 in person. They've been watching every Sunday, and she's been organizing and leading a ministry that calls people, everybody on our database, every month. And I haven't called my list yet for this week, but I'll get to them, Tammy, I promise. And we have a team of people who do that. What is that? That's called family. It's not, it's not necessarily coming into a building, and at some point they'll, they'll, they'll be ready to come into the building. But until then, you've got to stay a part of the family. You've got to stay a part of communication. You've got to stay a part of praying for people, understanding, understanding when, when, when things are happening in their lives. Uh, I mean, uh, you just organized, uh, Tiffany organized for uh, meals to go to the Grady's because they just had a baby uh, on Wednesday. And so we got a meal train going on. What is that? That's called family. That's not coming to the Grady's can't come to the building right now because they have a, a newborn baby. And um, Lord knows we don't need him in here. And, and so uh, they're, they just keep him at home. Let him, let him cry and stuff at home, you know. And, and they're, 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 but as a family, it doesn't mean they're not a part of our church. It doesn't mean we just leave them and we don't talk to them, we don't reach out to them, we don't meet needs for people. But no, a family, it's not just a building, it's about a family. I tell you, this isn't a business. People, some people approach church like that. Well, they need to have a kid's program for my 12-year-old, and they need to make sure that they have this, and I really kind of, their music was only so-so, and I kind of like, you know, elevations better. And, and you know, it's like all this, it's almost like they're going to a business. Like they're walking through Ikea. I'd like one of those and two of those and three of them. <laughs> what? Like, no, this isn't a business. This isn't Ikea, dude. This is, this is a family. Either you belong or, 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 you, or you don't. Go find another family that you belong to. But it's about belonging. It's about connection. It's not about transactions and what, and what well, I'm not going to give my tithe if they don't, don't do that. Well, okay, then don't give your tithe. Go somewhere else. Like, find a place that you belong to. Not just a place that you invest in. But find a place you belong to and then invest in that. And people who invest in you. People who belong, the feel of the same sense of belonging with you. And as you do that, when you realize the family of God, and you realize that your worship is more than a song and more than something that you can muster up on your own. It's, it's enhanced. It's, it's empowered by community, by family. Some of our family 
they don't feel comfortable coming on Sunday morning, but they come uh, on Tuesday night and pack food for Keep Kids Fed, or they come on Thursday night and, 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 and fill up people's trunks with food as they drive by. It's a part of the family, though. So the key is, are you connected to family, the family of God? Or have you allowed the, the pandemic to alter your value system? Have you allowed your, your culture to tell you? Have you allowed sons of the devil to come along and, and tell you the way that, that, that you ought to be? Man, as for me, I'm, I want to stay connected to the family of God. I want to stay committed to the family of God. And I want my worship to not be a private event, but I want it to be a corporate thing. Online, yes. In person, yes. Uh, in, in, through serving, yes. These are all ways that we worship God together. And so, Lord, I pray that you would uh, raise up able-like worshipers here. Raise up people that recognize that their sin is serious, that they need God. Recognize that only the blood of Jesus can, can cleanse us from sin. And so we come not just with thanksgiving, but with desperation for your blood, for your sacrifice. Hebrews 11 says, uh, Abel offered his sacrifice by faith. In other words, not by sight. It was by faith that this seems weird, it seems strange, but this is what God has said to do, so I'm going to do it. So, Lord, may we faithfully and by faith, may we offer up worship, pure worship to you from our heart, not just from our head, not just what makes sense to us. But, Lord, may we offer up true worship. And, and Lord, would you raise up brothers and sisters in this place, family, not just uh, fellow churchgoers or uh, attenders, but actually involved in each other's lives, actually inputting and investing in each other, actually there for each other, serving with each other, whether in this building or outside of this building, getting connected to that family, the family of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys for joining us today.